Amen. I can't help but note uh, in the garden uh, was one of my uh, mom's favorite hymns. And I always remember that growing up. Uh, Even though we didn't really grow up in a Christian home, uh, she grew up in church somewhat. And uh, I believe, I might be mistaken on this, but I believe, because we listened to a lot of Elvis in my house growing up. So sometimes it gets a little blurred. The lines get blurred. But um, I believe that she had a copy of, I believe, Elvis singing in the garden. And that was her all-time favorite hymn. Um, I'm sure him singing it probably didn't hurt anything. Uh, but I always remember that. I always remember that, that that was her favorite hymn. And what a beautiful truth that we can spend time with him. Amen. And so I appreciate uh, being led in that this morning and what a blessing that was. Uh, before we get into our message this morning, one kind of correction. I appreciate somebody catching this. Um, in the bulletin, it says Wednesday, June 20th. Um, if any of you looked at your calendar, it's actually Tuesday, June 20th, apparently. So um, I didn't catch that, so it's, it's on me. But, um, but thank you for that individual that said, hey, I'm having something done that day. That's kind of how I know it's that that's Tuesday. So it's either Tuesday the 19th or, when, or Tuesday the 20th or Wednesday the 21st. But it can't be Wednesday the 20th. So appreciate that. So it is Tuesday the 20th. So the date is right and uh, we're good there. So uh, this morning, uh, I'm very excited uh, to really continue kind of something we talked about last week. Um, And it was really cool to hear uh, the stories yesterday, uh, as I kind of alluded to already. We talked last week about the hope for the prodigal, that when individuals drift away, either growing up in a Christian home or not growing up in a Christian home, and they've just kind of went into the way of the world, they're just living in the things of the world, they're just thinking, pursuing these things will bring them peace, joyfully doing that, um, doing those things. And we talked about the types of prodigals that we can, can see in our lives, or even in our own lives as far as what we experience, or those that we know. There are those who are obvious prodigals, right? The ones that obviously just drift into the world. They're just headlong right into the things of the world. They don't really care what anyone thinks. They're just going to do what they want because it's their life and they can do what they want. There's the secret prodigal. This is the one that on the surface looks like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm here, I'm submitting, I'm good, I'm following the rules. But behind the scenes, in their heart, they're really drifted, distant, isolated into rebellion. They're really not obedient before the Lord or before even their family in some cases. And then you've got the religious prodigal. This is the one that, that looks the part religiously. They go to church. They read the word. They, they say all the right things in church. Everyone in church thinks they're great. I mean, everyone in church thinks they're awesome. But behind the scenes, again, kind of like the secret prodigal, they're really drifted in their heart. They're really not engaging Christ. And I was amazed yesterday to kind of hear the individuals, a couple athletes and some former athletes or some retired, I should say, athletes, to share that kind of a truth, to speak to that in their own life. One individual said that, you know, when they went to this Bible study and they prayed the prayer and they thought, okay, I'm good. I'm going to heaven when I die because I prayed this prayer. And I I tell people I'm a Christian, but really behind the scenes, they were living just as crazy as they ever lived, partying and drinking and carrying on and just doing all this stuff. But they told everyone, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I prayed this prayer. I'm good. And it wasn't until sometime later that they came to a realization that they were fake, that they really weren't a follower of Christ. Others shared about how they came to Christ later in life after thinking, pursuing all these other things would satisfy them and fulfill them and meet all their needs. And then realizing that's not really doing it. That's not really meeting those needs. And so it was kind of cool yesterday, just how the Lord orchestrates all this, that he kind of reaffirmed some of those things yesterday in the words of these different testimonies of athletes and players. And it was so encouraging to think about, man, there's such a great hope 
for the prodigal. There is a hope of God's grace that if we have breath in our lungs and we call out to him in repentance, that he will receive us by grace through faith in Christ and restore us and redeem us and set us on a path for his glory. And it's amazing to realize that. Last week, I got to tell you guys, it was so amazing to see just individuals. When I lifted my head from that closing prayer and, and invited people to come to the altar, I really wasn't expecting to already see people at the altar. And that had nothing to do with me, by the way. That had everything to do with God's moving and God's spirit drawing people to pray for either themselves or loved ones that are prodigal. And I want to encourage you again this morning, before we even get into this morning's message, if you know someone, if you came last week and you prayed for someone or you've been praying for someone, don't stop praying. Keep believing that God can work in that situation. Now, that individual has to make a choice. We talked about that. But that doesn't mean we stop praying because we're not seeing the results that we think we should see. We keep praying. We keep trusting it into God's hands. And we watch him do something amazing. But as I was thinking this week about last week's message and kind of how the Lord worked and just some different conversations I had with individuals and seeing God move, it got me thinking about uh, something that was said to me after church. And I love this. Someone came to me and said, you know, it's so amazing. We talked about the reality is that we were lost Then we were found, and then there was great rejoicing. Amen? We were lost. By the way, that we includes you. You were lost. I was lost. Undone in my sin. No hope of salvation. No hope of heaven. I was found by the amazing grace of God because someone preached the gospel to me. And I'll never forget sitting down at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio on Tuesday night. As his pastor's up there, and he was a twin brother. Him and his twin brother were up there doing this kind of back and forth thing. It was kind of this whole skit, kind of all week. They just kind of played off of. But they ended up preaching the gospel Tuesday night. And I don't remember much else of what was said, but I do remember what the pastor said. He said, if you don't know Christ, I don't have to convince you you don't know Christ. You know you don't know Christ. And that stuck with me. I'd gone to church a little bit before. I'd read the Bible a little bit before. I was terrified of death. I was terrified of God. Blamed God for everything. Anything wrong in my life was God's fault. I, no responsibility here, right? Like everything's God's fault. I was 16 when I came to Christ. And so as a teenager, believe it or not, I blamed everyone else for my problems. Hard to believe, I know. Now there were some things that happened in my life that weren't my direct fault. I didn't make certain decisions. Other people made decisions that affected my life in negative ways. But when I was in that camp and in that auditorium, it was like me and the preacher were the only ones in the room. And I remember when he said that, it was like everything fell quiet. And it was like God was like, that's you, by the way. You know you don't know me. You've prayed a prayer. You've read the Bible. You've you've tried to do good things. But I also know all those things you're doing that nobody else knows you're doing. I went forward and I just... Ask Christ to be my savior because someone cared enough to say, listen, here's the gospel. Now, maybe you've preached Christ to people and they've blown you off or you can tell by their body language. They shift in their seat. They give you a look like, yeah, I don't really care. Do you know what you do? You keep sharing the gospel. You keep sharing the gospel because you have no idea the seeds that are planted. Again, yesterday, one of the uh, pitchers for the tigers talked about the fact that that he heard this guy on a pier preaching the gospel with his friends in high school. And they were all kind of making fun of it, mocking it. But he said he was kind of standing there. He said it was the first time I was ever felt convicted of something. 
And he said, no, I didn't like come to Christ right in that moment. But in the back of his mind, the seed was planted. See, you might share Christ with someone today that you think, man, they don't care. They walked away. But one day, by God's grace, if they will turn from their sin and trust Christ, they may come to Christ because you planted a seed. And it wasn't you planting a seed, as we're going to talk about in a minute. It was God working through you. And so as I was thinking about that last week and I was talking to somebody and they said, man, how amazing it is, is it that we're lost and found and great rejoicing. But then they said this, but it's not just that we were lost and we're found. We were lost, found, and now we can never be lost again. I thought, how amazing is that? That you were lost in your sin. You were found by the grace of God. You were redeemed by the blood of Christ. He was buried and risen again for you and your salvation. And now that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can never be lost again. You are always found. Always found. And so I I was thinking this week about that. I was like, God, you're so good to keep us and keep us secure in you. So my, my next thought was, so how do we respond to that? Like, how do I live in response to that reality? That I was desperately lost, no hope of salvation in myself, graciously rescued by the Son of God, and now kept in the same grace that saved me, sustains me, and holds on to me. And so how do we respond to that? How do I live in a way of gratitude for that truth? Because I don't know what that does for you. When you think about that truth, I don't know what comes over you. I don't know what that does to your heart or your mind. To me, it makes me feel very inadequate. Like I could never do enough to validate that kind of love. I know I do not, present tense, love Christ as much as Christ loves me. I know that. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that true. That's true for you as well. You know that's true. You, now, we want to love him more. We want to be more devoted to him. We want to be more submitted to him. But if we're being honest, we really don't love Christ in the flesh as much as Christ loves us. But one day, we will leave this flesh. And we will be before him. And we will be like him. And we will fully love him as we once could in the garden as once was possible to us before sin. We were lost, found in Christ, and never to be lost again. Jesus says it this way, all that the Father gives to me, I will never lose. I will always keep, and will keep them up until the day of redemption. So as I say that, I have a feeling I know what some of us may think. Some of us wrestle with the gap between the truth that we are held in Christ for all of eternity by grace and the lack of evident holiness in our lives. We wrestle with that gap. We know we're saved by grace. We know we're kept by grace. We know we're held into by Christ. But we look at our lives and we go, but I don't see that kind of devotion. I don't see that kind of commitment in my life daily. I struggle with that. And I want to encourage you, you are not alone in that. The number one thing that the enemy, Satan, and your flesh will do to you when you start struggling with something like this is make you believe you're the only one struggling with this. 
and everybody at church has got it all figured out. You can pick anyone you want in this church, including the guy up on the stage. None of us have it figured out. Some of us are at different points in our journey. Some of us are at different levels of growth in our journey, but none of us have arrived. If the Apostle Paul can say towards the end of his life, I just want to know the power of Christ and his resurrection. At the end of his life, writing a third of the New Testament, traveling 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel, first known European convert, Lydia, in Acts 16, Paul led to Christ. This man says, man, if I could just know the power of Christ. So if Paul can say that, if Paul says in Romans 7, that which I don't want to do, I do, and that what I want to do, I don't do, but why is that? Because there's sin in me. If Paul can say that, then I think we're in safe company to say that we struggle, we can admit we struggle, and be okay with the struggle. Be okay with the gap between knowing the truth that we are saved by grace, kept by grace, and that we still wrestle with evident holiness in our lives. We that have been saved and been found never to be lost again, desire to pursue holy and obedient lives. And yet we struggle in our lives with living that desire out consistently. So I want to unpack that this morning. And I genuinely want to be an encouragement to us this morning to help us to know that we have already been found in Christ. That living holy lives is not what keeps you in Christ. And we have to get that. So I want to unpack that this morning as an encouragement that we can live the calling that God has placed on our lives. Now, if you want to follow along for notes sake, the notes are very simple this morning, to be honest. Because I'm a simple person, so I like to keep things simple. If you want to follow along in our notes, you can go on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. You can go to media sermon notes and find today's notes if you'd like to follow along. But I want to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Small New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul, but Colossians chapter 2, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the seats, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can use one of those. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 830. 830, and the Bible's there in the seats. Colossians chapter 2. So what is our calling? When I say we're, we're able to live out, excuse me, by grace, the calling that God has placed on our lives, what is that calling? Well, we're simply put, we are called to walk in holiness and obedience as a follower of Christ. But as soon as I say that, that that's our calling, many of us, again, different degrees, different situations, different struggles, many of us go, not me. Because I can't. I, I've tried. There's no way. I've tried and I fall and I fail and I try again and I fall and I fail. I can't walk in holiness and obedience. Because here's what we do. We hear those words and we instantly put always after them. Meaning perfect. You're setting yourself up for failure. Stop thinking you got to do this perfectly all the time. First time out the gate, 100% perfect score. That is not the Christian life. We should be striving for growing in holiness, growing in obedience that today I strive to be more obedient to Christ than I was yesterday. 
And where I fall and where I fall short, I ask for grace and forgiveness. And tomorrow, I commit that day to him to say, Lord, help me to walk in holiness tomorrow. And every day we grow in this. Colossians chapter 2 and look at verse 6. Such a simple verse. Colossians 2 and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you have, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the, the beauty of grace. I pray that we would know that we have been found in Christ because of Christ, by the work of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us under repentance. That salvation is not an act of our working up merit or favor or earning salvation, but it is solely the act of your grace being revealed to us by the Holy Spirit that as a counterpart to our sin, you offer greater grace. That we are broken in lawlessness, but yet you come and you offer to us forgiveness of sin. And we receive that by grace, through faith, committing our lives to you. But Lord, if we're honest, the Christian life is such a struggle, not because of your unfaithfulness to us, but because of our unfaithfulness to you and to your word. And I hope that we can unpack this this morning, Lord, and it be an actual encouragement. So many people have been beaten up with these things. But Lord, we are not called to be perfect. We are called to be faithful. And I pray that you would instill these things in us, that we would strive and desire, Lord, these things as evident fruit of holiness. But Lord... If there's some here this morning or someone watching online that honestly would say in their heart of hearts, they have zero desire to live holy lives. They have zero desire to, to be obedient to the things of Christ. They like the good feelings they get when they go to church. They like feeling they're a good and moral person. But Lord, really in their depths of their heart and the depths of their mind, they would admit, I'm really kind of living more for me. I don't really have a desire to please Christ, whatever that means. And I pray that by the work of your spirit that you would draw them to salvation. Because, Lord, if we don't in our heart of hearts desire these things, then most likely, according to your word, we don't even know you. We know about you. We've read of you. We've sang songs about you. But we ourselves do not know you. And more importantly, Lord, we're not known of you if we don't desire these things. Now, Lord, for those of us that know Christ, have the desire have the, the want to, to, to be dedicated, to commit our lives to Christ, but yet struggle in the, dis, the distance between that desire and reality. Lord, I pray you'd help us to know there's grace for that. And there's a strength that you can give us to grow us and mature us and to keep our eyes on you. So, Father, help us to do our part, but help us to realize it's all by grace. So, Father, again, give us wisdom in all this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul here summarizes the Christian life. What a simple way to talk about it. And I love the next verse there. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. What, what an amazing kind of summary passage for the Christian life. 
And I love verse 6 because it's even a simpler summary. Because you've received Christ, which if you say you're saved and you know Christ, you've received Christ. So since you've received Christ, what's the calling? Walk in Christ. Walk in Him. What is walking here? It's active pursuit of Christ-likeness. It's living my life in a way that reflects I know Christ. See, Sunday morning is not the only time that we worship Jesus. In fact, the Christian life is not a calling to compartmentalize to just Sunday morning or just church things. Your very life is in Christ. He is everything if you know him. He is our everything and we desire to please him in everything. Our motivation is not fear or obligation, but rather delight and joy. Why do I want to please Christ? Because out of joy, he has died on the cross for me, buried and risen again, offered me eternal life. I am found and never lost again. So I find joy in him because he's my everything. He satisfies, he fulfills. See, we we serve him, we worship him, we follow him, we walk in him out of joy, not guilt or fear. We also do not live for Christ to try to pay back what he has done for us. It can never be done. You can never do enough good things to pay back what God has done for you. It's impossible. And yet so many Christians live their lives like, okay, I need to go to church because he did this for me, so I'm going to do it for him. And if we're not careful, we start falling into this almost like a, like a debtor's thinking. Like, I owe this, and so i got to do this to pay back what I owe. And you know what happens when we start down that road? We start losing things like joy and peace. We say things like, well, I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to go anyway because of obligation. No, we should instead pray, Lord, I want to be there. My heart is telling me I don't want to be there, but I know I want to be there because I find joy in you. So change my heart, would you, Lord? Help me to want this. Help me to desire this. Help me to be hungry for righteousness and truth. The truth is, don't think of it as I got to pay him back. Think of it as it's the right response for the right sacrifice. And here's what I mean by that. If you hear a beautiful piece of music played before you, I was so thankful. I, I hope we can do it again. But when we had the Lapeer Orchestra here with us at Christmas time, what, what an amazing concert that was. Beautiful music, right? Now, I'll be honest with you. This might be a secret, so I don't want to shock you. I don't listen to orchestra music in my car. I'm not like driving home, grooving out to like Beethoven. Okay, that's not, it's not my thing. But when I was here that night and hearing those beautiful instruments playing together that music, when the song ended, what is the right or fitting response to that beautiful music? Applause, right? Cheers appreciation. Man, thank you. That was beautiful. Well, it's no different, really, when you think about what God has given to us. When you see the wonder of creation or the beauty of salvation, it's not that I have to pay him back. It's this response of just living my life for him is the fitting response for what he is, who he is, the beauty of what he is. It just makes sense to give him everything because it's the most appropriate response for what he's done. So it's not I got to pay him back. It's this is just what I should do because it makes sense. And I love what one theologian has said. 
the reality is we should worship him with all of us just because of what he is and who he is and what he's done. Not because he commands us to walk in him. So we follow him and we feel sometimes in our flesh because we're sinful creatures. We've fallen. Even as Christians, we still battle. We go, I, I know I need to walk in him because his word tells me to walk in him. Nothing wrong with that. That's, it's good to be led by the word and under submission of the word. But in reality, we should just follow just because. I mean, look at the wonder of his creation, the beauty of his majesty. How can we do anything but surrender to him? There's nothing else fitting There's nothing else appropriate. And what does Paul say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? What is the appropriate response, the fitting response, a living sacrifice? That I should just live my whole life for him as a sacrifice because of who he is and what he's done. And so here Paul just summarizes so simply, because you've received Christ, walk in him. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or give a word of testimony. But I'm going to guess that many of us could raise our hands and say, I fully believe that's my calling on my life. I fully believe I need to walk in Jesus Christ as a son and daughter of Christ. I also fully believe I struggle with that. And I fully believe that I fail at that every single day. So how does this play out practically in our lives? How do we walk in Christ? Now, that question alone could lead to weeks and weeks and weeks of sermons. But I want to summarize this as best I can to help us to kind of, again, following up last week, we were lost, we were found, we'll never be lost again. So what's the appropriate or the fitting response? And the title for the message this morning is a life pursuing holiness. A life pursuing holiness. And I I phrased it that way because we never arrive until the day we leave this life and enter the next one before him in fullness. So we're not saying, I want to live a life that arrives at holiness as though somehow in the flesh I can reach that to perfection. No, no, no. It's a life pursuing holiness. Every day I pursue a deeper growth with him, a deeper walk with him, a deeper connection with him so that my life will magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And equally so, we all know we've fallen short of that. And this is why I'm always amazed when people say church is full of hypocrites. The reality is the world is full of hypocrites. The church just gets the most attention. Now, part of that's our fault. Part of that's because we've preached salvation by grace, forgiveness of sins, that you need to walk in holiness. And then we try to pretend like we have that perfectly figured out. And then when we fall, as all humans do, we then get the attention on us and go, well, look, see, you're all fake. But again, I've said it before, when the nurse comes in to check my vitals after her smoke break, I find that slightly hypocritical. I'm not ripping on anybody who smokes. I'm just saying, maybe I should check your vitals. I'm going to guess my lungs are a little better. I'm just saying, it could be true. But again, why do we have that? Because we've failed to admit as followers of Christ that we are saved by grace, pursuing holiness. This is in no way condoning any sinful act. Never is sin condoned by Jesus or the word of God. But we need to admit that we all struggle with sin. And we need help and encouragement and strength and prayer and love and grace to overcome those things in Christ and endure the pursuit of holiness. So if you've been burned by the church or burned by somebody in church, I'm sorry. I know that hurts. I've been there. You've been there to some degree or another. But if your eyes are on the person and not on Jesus, you will always be disappointed. 
If you come here because you think I've got it all figured out, I've told you before, spend 10 minutes with my wife and you will find out if she was honest that I don't have it all figured out. I don't. Someone came up to me a couple weeks ago when I admitted that I struggle as a husband to love my wife as Christ loves the church. He said, man, we're leaving because I thought you were perfect. And he laughed. I thought, oh, okay, don't leave. I don't want you to go. Okay. But we all need to understand this. Isn't it amazing? And I don't want to get too far on this because we're already at 1130. But I'm always amazed. And I'm not saying we need to start doing this because then it's forced and whatever. But I'm always amazed when we gather for prayer. Like on Wednesday nights, I love gathering for prayer. The men gather right now. The men gather in one room and the ladies in another because it's just too many, too many people, which is a praise. But I'm always amazed when you gather. And this has been for, man, for a lot of my Christian life. You gather for prayer with men, and you're like, okay, anyone got any prayer requests? Hey, pray for me. I'm traveling. Awesome, love it. Pray for so and so. They're not feeling well. Awesome. Yeah, we need to be praying for them. We have a couple people in the church that aren't feeling well this morning that, that when you hear about that, you should be praying for them, right? That's good. It's fine. Pray for so-and-so they're recovering from surgery. I, I loved hearing all the, the love and encouragement that Jill felt when she was recovering and people were just loving on her and trying to be there. It's awesome. But I've yet to really be in a prayer meeting when a man says, hey, would you pray for me? I'm battling with lust. Uh, someone say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm really battling with this anxiety that I'm feeling towards this or that situation. Hey, would you pray for me? I'm, man, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with a sin issue. They don't have to name the sin, but would you just pray for me? Because I, I want to get victory over this thing. And I always wonder why. In the church, we should be the most willing to say to one another. I'm not talking about come up on stage and go, here's all my stuff. That's awkward. Just telling you. But to say to somebody, and I love hearing when I hear about this one-on-one, and it's, But guys, you know why I'm so blown away by it? Because it's really kind of not the norm. But I love hearing when somebody says, yeah, I was talking to so-and-so and and I was able to share with them a little bit and they prayed for me and it was great. I love that. That's what the church is for. But I've yet, apart from college, when I was in college in those dorm rooms and with those guys, those young Christian guys who were newly saved, man, they would tell you, like, like, you need to pray for me. I'm battling with this. And that made me think, oh, I didn't come up in a Christian home. I, I saved a couple years before graduation, went right to a Christian college, found out not everyone at a Christian college is saved. That was an eye-opener. But I did find out, too, that there were some great Christian men in that, in that dorm room. And I saw the transparency and the honesty and the love for, for men, one for another, to say, hey, just pray for each other. And then I got into ministry, and I was like, where did that go? It's like somewhere we lost it in translation where now we feel like we can't admit those things. Because we've believed the lie that we're supposed to be perfect. Now again, does this mean we condone sin? Absolutely not. There's accountability. There needs to be accountability. But we can admit and say, hey, I struggle with this. Would you pray for me? Maybe not even specific, but we are all called to walk in Christ. And so we need to be encouraging each other with what? Walking in Christ. Hebrews 10, provoking one another to love and good works. What does that mean? Walk in Christ. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit in Galatians 5? Walking in Christ. So how do we do this practically? Well, the first thing we notice is we walk or we live, because walking is a kind of a picture of living or living out our life. We walk or live by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Many of you know it, but I'm going to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to touch on the principle of this verse and pray it be an encouragement to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
So if you're having a hard time finding 2 Corinthians, find 1 Corinthians. It's the next book to your right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's really just a couple books before, letters before Colossians. Again, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. So Paul's talking here in chapter 5 about really the reality of like living in this, in this earthly life, living in this body, okay? So he's talking about this difference, this idea of understanding that we're separated from God in the sense of physically because we're in the flesh. And he says this in verse 7. Because of what verse 6 says, therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. That doesn't mean we're separated in salvation. It means we're not physically with the Lord. And guess what the Bible says? When we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Right? So when we leave this world physically, we're with the Lord. But then he says this. Verse 7, tucked right between verse 6 that says, while we're here, we're not with him. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So there's that dynamic. Right now, we're in the body. We're separated from him in the sense that I'm not with him physically. One day, we'll leave this body and we'll be with him physically. Praise God for that day. Amen. Paul says, I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He understands being with Jesus is so much greater than being here. He says, but I know being here is better for you, the church. He says this to the Philippian church. He says, I know that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to endure and I'm going to be here because it's better for the church that I'm here than I'm with Jesus. But I tell you this, I'd much rather be with Jesus. And so what Paul says here in verse 7 is so important. He says, hey, listen, yes, we're separate from the Lord physically. One day we'll be with him. But in the meanwhile, so while we're walking for Christ in this life, we walk by faith not by sight. You might get discouraged in this Christian life. You might get your heart broken. You might think that some of these things that you've learned growing up may or may not be true. You might be struggling with the sin. You might be doing all these things because you're not with him physically. So we can't physically see Jesus yet. But he says, but one day you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So in the meantime, don't get discouraged, disheartened, broken down. No, no, no. We walk by faith. As you keep your eyes on Christ by faith. And one day your faith will be made sight. And you will see him and you'll be like him. So here in Corinthians, we understand we walk or we live by faith. Why do we live by faith? Why do we walk by faith? Because we are saved by faith. We're saved by faith. So because we're saved by faith, we live by faith. Our justification or the, the term basically means to be declared innocent, to be made innocent, to be justified. Our justification before God being declared righteous and forgiven of our sins is not merely halfway sufficient. What do I mean by that? Many Christians feel or believe that when they are saved by Christ, they are given a second chance at life. Now, in Christ, I must weave my own righteousness to keep the justification that I received at salvation. It's like this. Up to this point, I've sinned. I've broken God's law. I know I'm a horrible person. He saves me by his grace. Praise God, he saved me. But now, from this point on, i got to kind of work my own righteousness. This is like a second chance at life. That's what salvation really is in their minds. 
So now I got a second chance to do the right thing and make a good choice. And when they fall for that lie, and then six weeks into being saved, they sin. Maybe six minutes, six hours, six days. I don't know. They say something they shouldn't say in anger. They think something that reacts to an action that they shouldn't do. They treat someone unkindly. They don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, they go, oh man, I blew it again. I got to start over again. This is the kind of thinking that leads to the idea of loss of salvation, which is not in scripture. So again, it's not a second chance at life. It's not now that I'm saved, I got to keep this salvation. The truth is we are 100% justified before God for all of eternity because of the sinless life of Christ being given to us through the gospel. You've been imputed righteousness, the Bible says. Given to you was the righteousness of Christ. Fully, complete, and free. Free to us, costly to the Son. We are saved by faith. So we're saved by faith, so we walk by faith. But not only are we saved by faith and justified by faith, we are sanctified by faith. Now again, a a word that maybe isn't familiar to some, but sanctified literally just means or the process of making us holy. Sanctification is the process that God is making us holy. We are made holy or set apart at the moment of salvation in Christ. That's why now Paul says, because you've received Christ, walk in Christ. You've been set apart for this. But then he says this. However, in this life, because we still are in the flesh, we are being made holy. So I'm holy in Christ, complete and free, that if I die right now in Christ, I'm in heaven. Whether I just committed a sin five minutes ago that I have not, quote, repented of yet, I'm still in Christ. I'm still saved, forgiven, and free. However, in this life, what is he doing by his grace? He's shaping us and forming us and molding us to the image of Christ. This is why when you were first saved, your desires were maybe mixed. As you've grown in Christ, you feel your desires start to shift. Well, now it's like, I'm not so concerned about the things of the world anymore. I really want to please Christ. I, I used to want to read the word, and, but at times it kind of was a struggle. Now I can't wait to get in the Bible. What changed? Your circumstances may have not changed. Nothing else may have changed, but Christ changed you. He's shaping you and folding you and changing your heart and changing your desires. And now you hunger for the things of Christ. Why? Because you are being made holy. I love what Tim Keller says in regards to sanctification. He says this. Sanctification is the sign of salvation, but not the cause. Sanctification, the act of being made holy, those acts, that process is the sign of salvation. You are saved, evidenced by the changing of your heart, the changing of your mind, the being drawn into the image of Christ. But those acts are not the cause of salvation. What does he mean? You're not saved because you do these things or desire these things even half-heartedly. You're saved by the grace of God through faith. And from that, we're being made holy. This process will be evident in the life of every believer as we walk with Christ. We are discovering our desires, interests, joys, and pleasures are being conformed to Christ's desires, not our own. And we can be encouraged that this process takes time. We are constantly in need of being made new, being renewed. Romans 12, 2. The renewing of the mind. We're constantly in need of renewing. Now, if I need constant renewal, what can I draw from that as a conclusion? That I, every single day, am losing the thing I need renewing of. Right? It's like, think of it in this way. I can't 
live today. I can't drive my life today on yesterday's gas. So I need new today. I need to be renewed. What I was living on yesterday isn't sufficient for today. I need renewal of that. One author says it this way. Encouragement fades. Hope fades. So what do I need? I need renewal of those things from the word of God, by the spirit of God to be renewed in my thinking. So yesterday's encouragement, and maybe you've experienced this. You got an encouraging word yesterday. You were so amped up for Jesus. You get to work tomorrow and you find some discouraging news. Guess what happens? That encouragement from Saturday fades. But we can be renewed. We can have our minds renewed. We can be strengthened again. We need daily renewal. One author said it this way. We leak daily. There's a hole in our bucket. And that encouragement that's pouring in, in the flesh, it's dripping out every day. And we're we're losing it every day. So what does that mean? We need to be refilled. We need to be re-encouraged. We need to be renewed in our thinking. We cannot walk in Christ today on yesterday's newness. So in Romans 12 too, what is Paul telling us? Paul's telling us the secret to walking in Christ. He doesn't tell us that the secret is figuring out how to have one spiritual experience that never needs to be renewed again. It's the opposite. The secret is every day we need our hearts and minds renewed to the truth of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. We need renewal. So how do we walk in faith? How do we live this life and walk in Christ? We are reminded that we're saved by faith and we're reminded that we're being made holy in faith. We walk in faith. Not only do we walk in faith in Christ, but also we work by grace. We work by grace. First Corinthians, you're in second Corinthians. So you guys probably figure out where you need to go. First Corinthians. So you got it. The, the one right before first Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. So we walk by faith and we work by grace. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What a powerful way to summarize his life. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Now, if you notice right before this, He talks in verse 9 about his position among the apostles, how he sees himself. He says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, this is not saying he's denouncing his apostleship. He's still an apostle of Christ, called by Christ. But what he's saying is, I don't deserve that position. I'm the least of all apostles because of what I did. And I did something that was so heinous. I persecuted the very church of God. And then he says in verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what he's saying? Yeah, I've done some horrible things in my life, but it's by the grace of God that I am where I am, that who I am is who I am. And it's all because of grace. It's not because of me. And what a reality. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and he continues on, that grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. It wasn't empty or fruitless or no substance. It had weight. It had merit. It had weight to it. There was substance in it. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. What's he saying? One author says it this way when I was reading on this passage. He says, I worked my tail off for Jesus. 
I love that. I just worked hard for Jesus. Now, some of you think, well, I work hard for Jesus in my wants and desires. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I worked hard at the things that Christ desired, the things that pleased Christ. Remember I said before, the 10,000 miles walked by foot, most likely preaching the gospel, establishing churches, ministering to churches. That's what Paul was about. And he worked tirelessly at it. And so we work by grace. Here's the truth. We are called to work for Christ. Paul, in response to the grace that was given to him, committed to work harder than anyone else for Jesus. However, he realized that it wasn't really him working, but Christ working through him. What does he say at the end of the verse? I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. And now I know if you've read through some of Paul's letters, it's easy to get a little turned around because the way he writes. But I actually like it because it kind of puts it in perspective. It says, I labored more abundantly than they all. I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So I did all of that. I worked hard, got up every morning and put my mind to the things of Christ. And I committed to walk in holiness and obedience. Romans seven tells us he didn't do it perfectly, but he worked hard. And what's his response to that? It wasn't even me. It's the grace of God working in me. Uh, John Piper said it well when he said this, every step we take for Christ by grace is a step deeper into grace. Every step we take for Christ And if you think of it this way, Paul's saying, okay, so I take a step and physically I choose to take this step of obedience. But as I'm taking that step, it's not really me taking that step. It's Christ in me taking that step. And so I can't even get credit for taking that step because that was grace. I take another step. Well, that wasn't really me either. I did it physically, but that was only by the grace of God. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be walking a whole different direction. So every step we take for Christ, everything we do for Christ is a step deeper into grace. We are not saved by our works, but from our salvation will flow an external holiness and an internal conformity to his will. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by faith through grace, not of yourselves. But once we are saved, what will flow out of that salvation is external holiness and internal conformity to the will of God. I will desire within the things of Christ and I will demonstrate in my life the fruit of Christ. Not perfectly, but that's what I'm striving for. I love what one pastor said regarding when he was sharing Christ with someone and he was explaining to this person that we're saved by grace and not through works. And they said, man, I grew up in a church that never taught me that. That's amazing to me, by the way, that you can spend your whole life in a church and never hear grace is the foundation of salvation. That's that's. How do you get anything else? But anyway, so she said, she said, I've never heard that before. And so she was talking about it. She said, actually, that's really terrifying to me that we're saved solely by grace apart from works. And this pastor was saying in this interview I was watching, he said, I almost interjected and said, well, let me tell you how and why and this and that. And he said, it was almost like God was like, would you just be quiet? And it's hard to get a preacher to be quiet. Amen. But he just said, well, why, why is that scary for you? Why does that terrify you? And she said this. And this is a woman who maybe wasn't even fully saved yet, just hadn't really understood, but was starting to grasp the gospel. She said this. She said, if I'm saved by my works, there's a limit to what God can ask of me. It's like paying my taxes. I pay my fair share, but you can't ask me to do what somebody else 
is, is able or capable of doing. So like, um, there's a limit to it. God can only ask me to do so much because it's my works. Like, I can't do the work of someone else. And then she said this, but if I'm truly saved by grace, apart from my works, there's no limit to what God can ask me to do. Because everything is owed to him. Everything I have is his. And I can do above and beyond all that I think I can do in him by his grace. What wonder, what simplicity of realizing that truth. You see, we are called to work for Christ. But as we work for Christ, we become a greater debtor to grace. We are debtors to grace. I said before, we don't owe him in the sense of trying to pay him back. But we are in debt to his grace. Which brings me to a question. What have you done? You don't need to answer out loud. But what have you done for God that was not empowered by him in you first by his spirit through the knowledge of the word? Think about that for a moment. What act have you done in your Christian life for God that wasn't first empowered in you by the spirit through the word? And you realize the only reason you even desired to do that work was because of God working in you. So what thing have you done in your Christian life that didn't start in the word or by the working of the spirit? The answer, there is no work that you've ever done for Christ that wasn't first empowered to you by the spirit through the word. You've never of your natural being said, I'm going to do this for Jesus. It was always the work of God in you. It was always the spirit of God in you. It was always his word working in you. And so if I can't even claim the original thought for wanting to do it for Jesus, then how can I claim the fruit for what comes out of that work for Jesus? We are debtors to grace. Every step we take is taken by the gift of grace. Every work we do is for him and is only possible by him because of him. Do you realize that every day you desperately need the grace of God? Every day. We depend on his grace. Do you know the Bible says, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, that every day has its own troubles and that you don't need to worry about tomorrow's troubles because you've got enough troubles for today. That's always one of the verses I'm like, I wish you would have read that differently or said that differently. Kind of like the tax thing, give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. I wish he said, give Caesar nothing. Yes. (laughs) Put that back in my pocket. Okay. I mean, give taxes. Oh, okay, great. So what is he saying? They're saying every day has troubles of its own. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow's troubles because you've got enough troubles for today. That's basically the principle of it. And I, I, that can seem discouraging until we realize that Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, tells us that God says his mercies are new every morning. So do you see that by God's grace, He tells us, hey, in the world, every day you'll have troubles. But in me and in relationship with me, you'll have new mercies every single day. So here's what God does. Every day has its troubles and every day you have new mercies. Every day has troubles and every day you have new grace. Every day has troubles, but every day I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And do you see how we can look at the world and say, man, but every day has troubles and completely miss that if we just lean into his grace, every day has everything we need in him to get through that day for his glory. Every day has troubles, but every day has new mercies. See, again, as I said a few minutes ago, every day we need to be renewed. Every day we need to be filled again. But why? 
Why does God do this slowly? Do you realize that God could all at once give you everything you ever need for every day for the rest of your life and into eternity, and you'll be completely filled and satisfied with every want, every need done, complete, full. We know he'll do this at the moment of full salvation when we see him face to face, so why not just do it now? Why not give us that fullness now? Why make us depend that every single day I need to go to the gas station and get refilled? I need to go to the the hospital and be checked again and given new medicine and new renewal. Why, why depend on him and not just make it full all at once? And the truth is he wants us to pull up to that pump daily. He wants us to be filled again every single day. Why? So that we will glorify him, that we will see his power on display in our lives. If he did it fully all at once, we might start to think that we did something and become proud. I think the hymn writer said it best when he said this, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. There isn't a day, a moment, an hour that we don't desperately need the grace of God. We are saved by grace. We are sanctified for his glory. We are called to live a life of pursuing holiness, not out of paying back a debt, but because it is fitting in response to the wonder and beauty of who God is, period. We recognize that we will stumble at times and fall, but our pursuit remains. We repent and receive grace and forgiveness and continue to strive to honor him in obedience. Why? Why even obey? He says in John 10, so that your joy might be full. You see, the gospel gives us a new motivation. I serve because the gospel says that he loves me and I love him because of that love. When I don't have the gospel, I serve out of obligation or fear But if I know Christ, I hunger to please him. Do I do it all the time? Do you do it perfectly? No. But we never excuse sin. We admit it, repent of it, receive his grace, and we strive to live a life pursuing holiness. Would you pray with me as we close our service with a word of invitation? Father, we come before you today just hungry for your presence your guidance. And Lord, we are so thankful that we were lost, that we were found, and that we'll never be lost again. That you have held on to us and sustained us by your grace. As Lord, as a result of that, there's no limit to what you can ask of us. Because every minute of every breath that we have, every hour that we live, we surrender to you as a fitting response to what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for giving us the strength to walk by faith. I know it's tough. I struggle with it. So many do. To realize, Lord, that we're not with you yet physically, but one day we will be. And I know there's a lot in this world that distracts and pulls away and tears us down and wants to discourage that truth. But I pray that we would know that we walk by faith so that one day we will see you face to face. But not only do we walk by faith, realizing that we've been saved by faith and and sanctified, made holy by faith, but we work by grace. Everything we do for you, as you call us to walk in Christ, makes us a deeper debtor to your grace. So help us to work for you in a way that reflects your glory. Father, maybe there's somebody here right now that is called to serve you in some way, and they're rejecting that calling because they think they can't do it. 
I pray they would know it's not them. It's you in them. May they surrender and see how you can fill them with all they need to be used of you for your glory. Thank you that every single day we need renewal because every single day we need you. So help us to be renewed today in our thinking of who you are and who we are. That we'd go from this place and make you known. And so, Father, help us to depend on you. We can't do it. We need you every day. Getting in your word, praying, seeking you, finding that strength to live for you. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand to your feet this morning and we respond to what the Lord is doing, if you don't know Christ, I ask that you would receive him this morning, confessing your sins, repenting of your sins, trusting in Christ. As your Savior, it's the only way of the salvation. But maybe here this morning and you want to come and pray and say, Lord, help me to walk by faith. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Help me to work in grace to realize this is all for you. Whatever God is doing in your seats or up front, would you respond to what he is leading this morning as we sing the song of worship before him?